every year as I read through the Bible, I'm always delighted and blessed by the accounts of the mighty men of King David who achieved incredible exploits for God. Their faces were as fierce as a lion's. Although the Jews throughout their history of wanderings in the nations were weak and despised, and although traditional portraits of the Lord sometimes depict a guru-like ethereal Jesus, in the last days, the Bible promises that the Jews will be restored to their mighty warrior characteristics. Zechariah 12.7 here prophesies that the weakest among them will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And also Jesus, the king of the Jews, will not return to earth as the meek lamb of God being led to the slaughter, but he will appear as the roaring lion of Judah, the warrior king aspect of the son of David. And he'll be mounted on a white battle horse, not on a humble Palm Sunday donkey. He will appear in flaming fire to destroy the Antichrist and establish the kingdom of God on earth. As Isaiah chapter 9 prophesies, the government of the world will be on his shoulders. So are you as ready as I am for the Lord to return to take control and rule this world of turmoil? The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. I'm so glad that Jesus, the son of David, will soon return taking up his role as the warrior King David on steroids, as it were. He'll totally defeat the world's last rebellious stand against God's rule. A sure sign of the Lord's soon return is the push toward globalism and a one world government. Although the globalists envision a new world order, and they want to fundamentally transform the United States and other nations, God himself is against global government. God intervened long ago with the ambitions of globalists at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where he slowed things down by confusing the people's languages. The prophet Isaiah saw the coming of the Messiah in judgment to establish his kingdom, prophesying that a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, a branch from these Davidic roots will bear fruit. This prophecy tells us that Messiah will be a son of Jesse through the line of David. And then Isaiah the prophet said, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus will make no superficial judgment, but with righteousness, the word of God says he will judge and decide with fairness, with equity for the afflicted of the earth. Amen. Jesus is portrayed in the New Testament in the apocalypse, in the book of Revelation, as a conquering king over a rebellious world. Echoing in the Hebrew scriptures, Isaiah chapter 63 Revelation 19.15 declares, From the Lord's mouth will come a sharp sword with which he'll strike down the nations, 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. King Messiah will not tolerate the foolishness, lawlessness, modern slavery, and sexual exploitation that corrupt leaders are turning a blind eye to now. And what about the endless debates on racism? After all the progress against racism that was born out of the hearts of Bible-believing men and women, will racism ever end? Well, the Bible's answer is yes. For when Jesus returns, we are promised that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And at last, thankfully, true justice and righteousness will be universal. Today, there are currently an estimated 9.2 million black slaves in Africa. And who is championing their cause? One major reason why this world needs the return of Jesus and the kingdom of God here on earth is to end racism and slavery. There is one creator, God, one race, the human race, one blood, red, one problem, sin, and one savior from sin, Jesus, the Messiah. Let's look at this map of modern slavery to see where the hotspots really exist. The Global Slavery Index is a worldwide study of modern slavery. Four editions have been published in this past decade. The 2018 edition builds on the global estimates of modern slavery. That 40.3 million persons, that's more than 40 million individuals, are enslaved worldwide in some form of forced servitude on any given day in the world. According to the UN's International Labor Organization, there are more than three times as many people in forced servitude today as were captured and sold during the entire 350-year span of the transatlantic slave trade. Judith Bergman, a lawyer and political analyst at the Gatestone Institute, wrote that in Britain alone, there are an estimated 136,000 persons living in conditions of modern slavery, taking the forms of forced labor and domestic sexual exploitation. And Albanians and Vietnamese constitute the majority of these slaves. Forms of slavery in Africa include forced labor, forced sexual exploitation, and forced marriages. It was estimated that around 250,000 persons were living in slave-like conditions in Mali, where slavery is not illegal. One girl from Mali told the Guardian newspaper that she became a slave at the age of seven when her slave mother died. Her mother's master came to claim her and her brothers, and she worked as a servant without pay for nearly 20 years and was forced into a marriage with another slave to supply her master with more slaves. In Mauritania, up to 20% of the population is reportedly in bondage. The slaves are mostly black Africans, as opposed to nearly half of the population who are Arabs or North Africans. Meanwhile, this lazy, hypocritical generation is so busy pointing fingers at the past that they don't see the monstrous problem of modern slavery. An economist at the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy 
revealed that modern slavery is far and away more profitable now than at any point in human history. As Judith Bergman wrote, for Westerners to engage in a lot of posturing while ignoring the staggering current 40 million victims of actual slavery, this not only represents the immeasurable depths of woke hypocrisy, but it constitutes an extreme insult to those who are suffering slavery in silence, slowly dying from the physical, sexual, and emotional abuse that they are being forced to endure. If anything is offensive, it's that. I absolutely agree that virtue signaling in our Western nations is the height of hypocrisy when real slavery is being suffered every single day in the world. So the Lord's second coming is the point to which all history is racing and going with hope. But so-called kingdom now theology is blatantly false. That wrongly teaches that Jesus cannot possibly return until the church has brought in the kingdom of God on earth. The church is supposed to be salt and light in society, no doubt, but only the return of King Jesus can establish the Davidic kingdom of God on earth. And there's going to be one last satanic attempt to stop his rule and to rule the world without the Lord. Revelation 13, 8 prophesies that all the inhabitants of the earth are going to worship the beast, the coming Antichrist, meaning all individuals whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world. So whatever you do today, I want you to be sure that your name is inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. And how do you get your name inscribed in heaven's book? It's by faith. When you put your faith in the Savior and confess Jesus as Lord, your name is inscribed with indelible ink with his own atoning blood in the Lamb's book of life. So our hope ultimately is not trying to fix this broken world. That's a concept in Judaism called tikkun olam, meaning repairing the world. Tikkun olam has become synonymous with the notion of social action and social justice saving the world. We often hear and report about the many humanitarian projects that Israelis are doing as part of Tikkun Olam, and it is admirable. When we see, for example, Israelis providing clean water for people after an earthquake disaster, or when we see Israelis supplying African villages with agricultural resources or solar energy, Deeply religious Jews have suffered so much as Jews that they can relate to other people's suffering. And that's the kind of role model of Jewish values lived in action that we greatly admire. But ultimately, our real hope that believers must not lose sight of is in the return of King Messiah Jesus. He knows best how to rightly repair the world. In fact, Jesus... Yeshua is his Hebrew name, is God's tikkun olam. Through the atonement accomplished at Messiah's cross, God repaired the world's biggest problem. And that's the problem of our sin nature. The Bible tells us that every person born under the sun is a sinner, and there are no exceptions. There is none that's righteous, this Bible says, no, not one. And none of us is immune to sin. But the sinless Lamb of God, Jesus, repaired the breach 
between God and mankind. On the cross, Jesus literally stood between heaven and earth, bearing our sins on the cursed tree on our behalf, so that when we look to him by faith on that pole, we live just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and the people were healed. His righteousness is imputed to us, and thus we become acceptable to God and adopted into God's family. Making atonement was the first aspect of Messiah's mission, yet to come will be the completion of his mission when he restores God's kingdom on earth. Despite his astounding signs and messianic miracles, the Jewish leadership rejected Jesus as Messiah the first time around because they did not see him establishing David's throne and overthrowing the Romans. But Jesus will restore the kingdom to Israel at his second coming. You see, Bible prophecies are comprised of two sets of prophecies. One set concerning the suffering servant king and the other, the conquering king. Jesus will fulfill both aspects of all of these Bible prophecies concerning Messiah. And if in the meantime, believers lack holy expectation for the return of the Lord, the result will be a weak church and an anemic eschatology, producing worldliness, aimlessness in the churches, and so to speak, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Our ultimate goal is not to create utopia on earth, that's impossible. Our goal is to live holy lives and save as many souls as possible, all the while maintaining our blessed hope of the soon appearing of the Lord, just as he has promised to establish the Davidic kingdom. On the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter summarized our position in Acts chapter 2, when he shouted to the masses who were assembled on the temple steps in Jerusalem, be saved from this corrupt generation. And how can we be saved from this corrupt generation? Peter said, it's by repenting and being baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, God's anointed Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise belongs to you and your children and to all who are far off. That's us, that's you and me. In fact, this promise is to all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. And I certainly hope today he's calling you to himself if you have not yet yielded to his authority. Well, another seminal sign of the imminent return of the Messiah is the increasing pace and numbers of the Jewish people who are being regathered in their ancient homeland. Breaking Israel News quoted a rabbi warning the Jews who are still scattered throughout the world to come home because the rabbi prophesied chillingly. He said, the Shekinah glory of God has left the Gentile world of the diaspora. In other words, he said, God will no longer protect Jews who are living outside of Israel and the nations. And we all know that the nations are becoming increasingly hostile and anti-Semitic. The rabbi told Jews who live in the United States that your life is not going to go back to the way it used to be, so don't count on life ever being normal again. Already, security in American synagogues has to be stepped up. But Jeremiah 31, 16 is a verse that holds out tremendous hope for Israel's future, prophesying that their children shall return to their country in the last days. 
In fact, so many Jews are returning to Israel that the government is concerned that they're not going to be able to absorb everybody efficiently. The Jewish agency reported that an estimated 250,000 new immigrants, mostly young persons, will come to Israel within the next three to five years. The number of persons who have contacted the Jewish agency hoping to immigrate, a process called Aliyah, has increased by 50% from English-speaking countries and by 70% from French-speaking countries. And that's not surprising given the amount of anti-Semitism that's been going on in France and Belgium. Israel could receive as many as 90,000 new immigrants next year. That's nearly three times the number of immigrants from last year. And by contrast, 11 years ago, only 16,000 people made Aliyah. Israel must prepare for a large wave of immigration due also to the fact that large Jewish communities overseas have been seeing a significant number of corona-related deaths alongside rising anti-Semitism. One of the clearest prophecies about immigration to Israel in the last days is Jeremiah 16, 16. Behold, says God, I am sending for many fishermen and they shall haul the Jewish people out. And after that, God says, I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt them out of every mountain and out of every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. In this verse, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of two stages of the ingathering of the Jewish people back to the Holy Land. And many watchmen on the walls realized that we are clearly entering a new stage of this prophecy, especially since the Jews living in America are being shaken out to come home. And because of our Judeo-Christian heritage, it is disheartening and deeply disturbing to see the ugliness of anti-Semitism in nations such as the United States and the United Kingdom. But this is Bible prophecy unfolding. So as we wait on the appearing of the Lord, I want to strengthen you to be courageous and very alert. May the Lord fortify our faith because another end time sign is the erosion of our freedoms. Do you recall when at first with the coronavirus, we were told that we would only have to lock down for a couple of weeks. Now churches are being closed and elected leaders are imposing regulations that are eroding our freedoms. And if we're not diligent believers, we can just go along with everything and then betray the gospel, perhaps repeating mistakes made by various leaders of denominations in Nazi Germany who perverted and isolated verses such as Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter 2.13. These verses instruct us to submit to governing authorities in normal circumstances. However, there are other verses to be taken into consideration when believers are persecuted and oppressed by tyrannical leaders. For example, in Acts 5.29, the apostles declared boldly to the authorities, we must obey God rather than men. And in Acts 22:25, the Apostle Paul challenged the authorities with his rights as a Roman citizen. He asked, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't been found guilty? And Paul's rights were immediately upheld. Well, I was recently encouraged by a film. The title was pulled from a quote by the Victorian novelist Mary Ann Evans, better known by her pen name, George Eliot, and here's the quote. The growing good of the world is partly dependent on the number who lived 
a hidden life faithfully, and they rest in unvisited tombs. The three-hour film, A Hidden Life, is a love story and sadly also a horror story concerning an Austrian farmer who refused to swear allegiance to Hitler. A singular life lived in good conscience before God may seem insignificant and may be hidden from the world, but such a life is never hidden from God and will be rewarded in the age to come. A Hidden Life is a thought-provoking film about the Antichrist of the last century, and it's a reminder that the Antichrist of the future will demand absolute allegiance. But God will always have a remnant for himself who will disobey evil orders, even in the face of death. For example, when the prophet Elijah fled from notorious Queen Jezebel and the wicked King Ahab, God testified to Elijah, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, the false god. That verse from the Hebrew Scriptures is also quoted in the New Testament in Romans 11. In the film, many scenes depict the beautiful Austrian mountains and landscape of the idyllic village of Franz Jägerstatter, who refused to swear allegiance to Hitler in the Third Reich. Despite pressure from the town's mayor, his neighbors, and even the clergyman of his Catholic church advised him to go along with a feigned allegiance. The film shows how freedoms are eroded step by step, just as we're seeing freedoms being eroded now. Franz wrestled with a heart-wrenching knowledge that his conscientious objection would result in death, but he found strength in prayer and in his wife's unwavering support. His family were victims of growing hostility, and after months of brutal incarceration, he was sentenced to death and executed at age 36 for his refusal to fight for Nazi Germany. Later, the Catholic Church beatified him as a martyr. And on the internet, I found a fascinating modern icon of him depicting a demon holding a Nazi flag. And so it goes. Good men are often demonized and extolled only after they die. It's always necessary to stand up against evil no matter what the cost, even if our efforts are hidden from everybody except God. All works, both good and evil, will eventually be exposed and either judged or rewarded. We believers belong to a heavenly kingdom. Our citizenship ultimately is in heaven. The Apostle John in the New Testament also admonished us to not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is passing away, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. Amen. Meanwhile, recently I heard one brave minister upbraiding the so-called cancel culture, stating that the church in our times has been seduced by the contemporary sociological religion of social issues rather than seeking the kingdom of God. Rather than the good news of salvation by faith, social justice is being preached in the pulpits as a subtle false religion and a substitute for the glorious gospel. While the Bible does instruct believers to seek justice and to pursue it, nevertheless, we must maintain a balanced perspective, realizing that perfect justice will only be fully achieved when Jesus returns. So, if you ask in frustration, are we ever going to obtain perfect justice? The Bible's answer is yes, when Jesus returns. And if you ask, will climate change ever be fixed? 
The Bible's answer is not to worry, not to fret. This is because God promised Noah in Genesis 8:22 after the flood, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So here we have it from the mouth of God that the earth will experience cycles of summers and winters, cold seasons, hot waves, and all these cycles are going to continue. So why the great fuss and outcry and untold finances spent on efforts like the Paris Accords, climate change? God's already told us that cold and hot seasons are never going to cease. So fretting over climate change is simply unnecessary, a waste of time and resources, especially if we believe Jesus will return to put right anything that's wrong. When we consider the true state of the world, we could just fall into despair if we didn't know that the Bible promises a rule of perfect justice by King Messiah, and it's going to last for a thousand years. And then after that, eternity with the Savior in a new heaven, in a new earth full of righteousness. My question to you today is this. Are you ready for end time events or are you just like so many other people dangerously drifting along, not preparing for the Lord's imminent appearing? Jesus has promised to return to do the ultimate tikkun olam, repair of the world, when he sets up his Davidic kingdom on earth. In the meantime, he repairs our individual worlds when we turn our lives over to him. By the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit, he saves us from eternal perdition. He heals us physically, spiritually, mentally. He guides us and grants us peace that passes all understanding in the midst of life's storms. He takes our broken and shattered dreams and gives us a new sense of purpose and peace. Amen. Well, in closing today, I want to remind you that some of the purposes of our ministry are to evangelize the lost while helping also to prepare the church for the sudden appearing of our Lord and Savior. One of the reasons why the church is not being influential in society is that the church has lost its focus on the coming King. But we are helping to turn our focus back on Him. So I want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which reports on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. And at our website, and at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a library of videos 24-7. We invite you also to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits, based on Daniel 11:32, which promises that the people who know their God will be strong. We won't be weak. We'll be strong. And we will carry out exploits, meaning we're going to do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before His imminent return. I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me. Perhaps you have some questions on the social media or through your phones or tablets at our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha. Sail Away by Christine Dark. Forty-four years ago, Christine and her husband Peter sold all their possessions to buy tickets on a round-the-world voyage. 
exploring the Caribbean, onto South America, across the Atlantic to South Africa, then onto India, Sri Lanka, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Communist China, and finally Japan and Hawaii. The exploits of that three months at sea are recalled in Christine's new audiobook, Sail Away. Set sail with more than three and a half hours of exploring the world. Sail Away by Christine Darg is now available to download from the audible.com website. So enjoy a voyage of spiritual discovery as you listen to Christine read Sail Away, Discovering the Holy Spirit on a World Cruise.